Tommy Stokey here with John Heyman, as always, on Friday. We are recording on September 23rd. This is episode 6. Here to talk John's Inside Baseball column, which comes out on todaysknuckleball.com every Thursday. This week, the big topic is seven moves that turned the Chicago Cubs, the lovable losers, into winners. Um, There's plenty of stuff in there, whether it's um, through the rest of the league, Odor, why he didn't sign his extension yet uh who could be a possible replacement for david ortiz in boston next year tim linscomb is he going to try to come back so plenty of information in there uh, but we're going to start with the cubs and their rebuild uh, obviously they're at 97 wins they're going to be at 98 after tonight's game against st louis um, a couple under the radar ones you didn't focus on the john lester move the john lackey the ben zobras deal um that you talked about in the intro um and at first, I thought that, you know, the John Lester one, I think, is perhaps the biggest move of them all. But then I took a step back and said, you know what, if these seven moves don't happen before that, then I don't know that John Lester comes to town. So number one move on this list is taking Chris Bryant, number two, in the 2013 draft. And, and looking back, obviously, with Mark Appel not playing yet in the big leagues, um, John Gray has obviously been uh, pretty good this year. But people forget that Appel, I feel like, was more of a sure thing that the I don't know that the Astros had much of a decision to make. I think that that was pretty safe. He was the, you know, I think, what, Pittsburgh took him eighth the year before. Um, so the Astros taking him, but the Cubs didn't have pitching in the system. And I know a lot of Cubs fans at that time were saying, man, hopefully Appel falls or they take Gray because they need pitching. The Cubs take Bryant and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, your recollection is correct. Uh, a lot of the fans thought they needed to get pitching, but I don't think they were thinking that way. I think they would have taken Bryant anyway, and we'll never know for sure. But uh, my understanding is they had long discussions, debates about whether they should take Appel, Bryant, or Gray, with all three in the mix. I think Appel and Bryant uh, stood out, and I think they liked Bryant because they saw him, believe it or not, as a little bit more of a sure thing. Uh, I know a lot of people thought that Appel was, but I think they saw it as more least risk, I would say, say put it that way, to take Bryant, uh, a guy who had been a star at uh, in his junior year, had a huge junior year in San Diego. And they went out and met with all of these guys, and the meeting with Bryant, from what I understand, went spectacularly. Uh, he's just a very engaging, positive fellow, loves baseball, and I think they came away from that meeting feeling comfortable that he could thrive as the number two draft pick of the Cubs. Not everybody could do that, and uh, I think they felt that. And I, I still think that uh, if if Appel was there, they would have taken Bryant anyway. Um, going over the seven moves, they got a little bit fortunate in a few of them. Maybe they got fortunate in this one. They got fortunate certainly when Dempster turned down the deal for Delgado with the uh, Braves. Delgado certainly has not turned into anything close to what Kyle Hendricks has turned into. So, uh, they got a little fortunate on a couple of the moves, but by and large, they've, uh, they've done a great job, uh, particularly with trades and with choices. Yeah, one of the misconceptions in going through this, you know, there's always going to be luck involved, and a team has to be fortunate here on a deal there. And, you know, Theo's made some bad moves too. The, the Ian Stewart 
getting Ian Stewart for DJ LeMay, who that wasn't a good one. But overall, it's, you know, people look at these rebuilding teams and it's, oh, all they have to do is lose and you get draft picks and it's easy to build up that way. But I think other teams, you know, the Astros, for an example, are showing that it's not quite that easy as just draft right and go from there. And these moves certainly show that. Even the even the Schwarber sign or the Schwarber pick at four, I think that shocked everybody. You see, oh, he wasn't in the top. Nobody thought he was even going to be a first-round pick, and they take him four. A lot of people wanted Conforto there, which you mentioned. Um, and people want pitching again. It was always, when are the Cubs going to get pitching? Um and Theo has a plan of, well, we're going to get the bats because they are safer and we can sign pitchers, which they've done. But a lot, there's some fortune that goes in there. But I think, you know, just to say that oh, all they had to do is lose, these moves here show it's a lot more than just that to rebuild. Definitely. I mean, there are teams that lose and then they just keep losing. A lot of these teams blow their draft choices. A lot of teams have had a lot of high uh, number one type picks, and they haven't all panned out. Um, obviously, Tampa had some early success with Longoria and Price, but then uh, more recently taking Beckham, uh, number one, that was a big disaster, and they've had others like that. And there are other losing teams that have done that, too. Houston uh, has had a mixed bag. Obviously, Correa was a great pick. Appel, to this point, uh, Boston not going to do it for them, as they've you know, traded him away. He's in Philly, and he's hurt, but... Uh, uh, they, they've had kind of a mixed bag. Uh, Cubs really haven't had that. They're, in terms of the trades, you mentioned uh, the one miss on the trade, but their trades have really been uh, superb. Uh, the Arietta trade uh, may go down as one of the better trades over the last couple of decades uh, to get him and Strope. Uh, Arietta obviously winning the Cy Young last year. This year, one of the top ten pitchers in the National League again. Uh, for Feldman, a rental, uh, that, that was uh, really a, a real stroke of genius. They did try to get Britain, which Britain may win the Cy Young this year uh, for the Orioles and as a reliever, and they did try to get Tillman first, and uh, Baltimore was growing frustrated uh, with Arietta, and they weren't getting the best out of him. And uh, the other key part of that trade was uh, after they acquired him, they told Arietta to throw how you feel comfortable. Baltimore does not like guys who throw across their body, and they try to correct that. There is a little more risk in throwing across your body in terms of injury, uh, and they feel that you're not as consistent with the uh, control. But uh, the Cubs thought, hey, you know, we're getting a fresh start here. Let's see what he thinks he can do with the way he wants to do it. And that turned out to be uh, the perfect antidote uh, for Arietta. Uh, the Hendricks trade, I, I mean, uh, who would have thought that he could be a potential Cy Young winner? He certainly doesn't have big stuff, doesn't throw hard, but uh, he's developed in one of the best pitchers in the National League, reminding some people of Maddox. So, um uh, that was another great, great trade. I think they've kind of established that they're going to um, draft position players and develop them. Uh, seems to be their forte. And they're going to trade for pitcher, for established pitchers or at least major league pitchers. And uh, and they're going to sign them as free agents. And uh, obviously, Lester, as you mentioned, that was a great signing. Uh, Lackey was, looks like a good signing. Um, it's early in that one, but uh, looks like a good one. They've missed on a couple of free agents, though. They're not batting a thousand. Obviously, to this point, Hayward has not played like they would have hoped. Good defensively, but not like they would have hoped. Fowler has been good, so uh, they've done well with free agents, but they've done spectacularly with the draft and with trades. Yeah, the big key there is the development. They're not just going out and getting these prospects, and you know, hopefully, they work. It's the development. I mean, even Anthony Rizzo, what he was in San Diego. 
I don't know that he was hitting 200 there. They had to send him back to AAA. Everybody, oh, they rushed him. Obviously, Jed Hoyer knew what they had there, but being able to develop Anthony Rizzo into uh, that star. Um, Chris Bryant, obviously um, not quite as much development there, but I still think the Cubs deserve credit because he he obviously de- deserves a ton of credit too, but a seamless transition for him. Um, they've tried out, you know, going and getting a guy like Jake Arrieta. They've tried to get other guys like him, like a, a Jacob Turner comes to mind. That didn't work out, but finding the pieces like a Scott Feldman, um, we'll get him, we'll work with him, we'll turn him around, and let's turn him into Jake Arrieta. Uh, so they're identifying the big talent. They're identifying early on, they were d- identifying reclamation projects, but then the most important part is they're developing them, and I think that's why you're seeing Jason McLeod in all these uh, GM rumors because they've seen him be a big part of this, and uh, they're just doing a whole lot of things right. Yeah, they, I think they put a big emphasis on the makeup. Uh, they're going to get a star player to major league level. They don't want anybody who's going to make trouble. Uh, in a previous regime, we we know, of course, they, uh, they've they had some issues with some players, uh, uh, Bradley, Milton Bradley being one of them. Uh, they want to bring in guys that uh, can be leaders, that can fit into a clubhouse, that can be uh, terrific citizens. I, I, I mean, you can't do any better than Chris Bryant. You really can't. Uh, and I, you know, they, they, I give them credit on the development with a lot of these guys, and certainly uh, Rizzo included. And you mentioned Hoyer had him in San Diego first, and there was development there, and then more development with the Cubs. Uh, Bryant, I think he's going to be a superstar, uh, no matter who picked him. The key there was making the right selection. Um, as far as Rizzo goes, as you mentioned, uh, he really struggled in San Diego. Um, Hoyer. Uh, and Epstein had him in, in Boston. Boyer traded for him in the Gonzalez trade in San Diego. Uh, had his first taste of failure and was very willing to adjust. He was uh, he needed to shorten his swing. Uh, wasn't getting into the fastball at the major league level. And he was a guy who was not only willing to adjust but very good at it. Very smart guy. Uh, they saw him as a leader in the clubhouse, which he has become. Uh, they believed that he would make the adjustments necessary, and he has made those adjustments. And he has become a star. That one's a little bit more difficult than than Bryant. To me, Bryant is a prodigy, uh, and Houston should have taken him. And good for Chicago, they did the right thing and took him. The uh, if the if the Arietta trade didn't look like it could be any more lopsided, and then Steve Clevenger opened his mouth or went on the internet yesterday, and that makes it look even better. But with Arietta today, he struck out ten. Um, he's kind of been up and down in terms of control velocity but his overall numbers overall body of work is still good do you think the concern with Arietta is a little overstated just because of how good he was last year oh absolutely I mean he was the best pitcher anybody's ever seen over the last half last year so I think the expectations were raised uh, this year he really frankly has been the third best pitcher on the team and that's not to say anything really negative because Hendricks and Lester have been two out of the probably the two out of the three or four best pitchers in the National League. Um, I, you know, Arietta, uh, he's turning a great year. They had, they should be thrilled. I think they are generally thrilled. I do think they do have some concern over the uh, control issues that he's had um, because uh, he didn't have them last year. But let's not forget where he came from and uh, the fact that he was up and down with the Orioles and the Orioles didn't just give up on him quickly. It was four years of up and down from the minors to the majors, to the bullpen. Uh, he had four years there with the RA, one year in the fourth, one year in the fives, one year in the sixes, and one year in the seventh. So at that point, I can't be shocked that they gave up on him and traded him. And uh, 
so I think Cubs should, should be pretty happy with uh, a, a season like this, which is excellent, but maybe not an all-time great. To go back to Lester, um, is that fair to say that he didn't make the list because it took all these other things to, to get to that point for John Lester to even pick up the phone and, and consider the Cubs? Yeah, I, I was rather than the known quantity of Lester. Lester was already a star. Uh, I think people knew what he would deliver. At, uh, at the bare minimum, he's going to be a, a very good pitcher who's a number two type starter. He's actually been much better than that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that they remade their team and their future by getting all these young guys, and uh, it just shows you what a great future they have. This is not a one-year or two-year thing for the Cubs. And it's because of all these great moves they made with the kids. With, we didn't even mention Addison and Russell. That's one of the best trades that they made as well. Uh, they had very, very good trades and very good picks. Uh, and to me, that was the key. Those, the trades and the picks, anybody could have pointed out uh, John Lester or picked him out and said, let's get him on the team. And, yeah, they get a little extra credit for getting him for what you might consider a reasonable rate. But, uh, I mean, everybody in baseball knows John Lester is a great pitcher. One team that the Cubs could end up seeing in the postseason is the Washington Nationals. One of the things that you pointed out in your um, Inside Baseball this week was Wilson Ramos and contract talks with the Nationals, possible extension. He's due to be a free agent. Um, Catching market with him, with Weeders, um, Jason Castro possibly, Brian McCann on the block. If With Washington being where they're at right now, can they – afford to lose somebody like Ramos or is he expendable to them? Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to say expendable, but I, I think anybody uh, is uh, uh, expendable in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, unless you're Mike Trout or Bryce Harper, you, you say, well, we can't lose him. It's going to be a, a, something to try to overcome. Now, they have uh, some very good players. Uh, Trey Turner, Daniel Murphy, they got Harper, and certainly the pitching with Scherzer and uh, Strasburg and the rest. So uh, I think they have an excellent team uh, either way. Obviously, you want to keep Wilson Ramos. He has become a star this year. I think the LASIK surgery really turned his career around. It is extremely valuable having a catcher who can hit 300 and with power. I mean, so he's an extremely valuable player. There are other free agent catchers they can look at. It was a little unusual for them to uh, try to uh, – spark uh, negotiations here as we're getting close to free agency with Ramos. Maybe they thought that he wanted to stay so badly that he would take a vastly under-market deal. Uh, that is, appear, appears to be what they tried to do. They offered him about $30 million, maybe a little bit over for three years. Um, that clearly isn't going to get it done unless he's desperate to stay and just can't stomach the idea of playing for another team. And that doesn't appear to be the case because my understanding is it did not spark negotiations and He's, a free, he's going to be a free agent, so uh, they're going to have to do a lot better than $30 million, or even if it was $32 million for three years. Uh, Wilson Ramos is certainly going to be looking at the McCann and Martin deals. I know not every catcher gets that five years for $80 million plus, but uh, right now in this market, in this environment, uh, baseball is doing great. Uh, we're talking about a catcher who's still uh, young and a catcher who hits like that. Um, probably will get in that range. I predicted $68 million for four. That's probably a little conservative. And even though it, it's conservative, it's still double what Washington has apparently offered, or about double. So, um, But, I, yeah, I do think that they can afford to lose him. That's just the way free agency goes. With catching, though, and 
um, with with Washington and being with their where they're at and where their title window is, if you will. Um, I don't know that if they don't keep Ramos, I think they have to go get another catcher because as good as they think Pedro Severino is or can be, do you want to hand over Max Scherzer or Steven Strasburg um, this starting rotation to a, a rookie when you have your window right now? And that's kind of the same thing I brought up um, or I've talked about before with Wilson Contreras. And in the playoffs, do you want him catching – a John Lester, a John Lackey, a Jake Arietta in the playoffs now. That's why I think they'll keep Montero on the roster. I know there's been some talks that maybe they won't, but I don't know that you want to turn the reins over to a rookie right away in, in the title window. So I think if they don't keep Ramos, then they have to find another option, in my opinion. Um, but obviously I think that the number that you threw out was just to, to start things, and I, I think they'll make a better offer than that, but... Are they going to go all out to keep him? I'm not so sure about that either. Yeah, I don't know. That's not a good sign that they've offered uh, $30 million and they're the ones who threw it out. Uh, so I, I don't know if they were trying to offer something just to say that they made an offer or was it just a legitimate start and they're starting at a very low point. But uh, it, it doesn't give you confidence that they're going to get this deal done. And if they don't, they, I agree. They definitely need to go out and get somebody, Jason Castro, is a uh, free agent. Obviously, Wieners is the second uh, best catcher who is a free agent uh, not far away in Baltimore there. Um, I don't foresee him getting a quick deal done with the Orioles. I think they were going to talk this week uh, with Wieners and the Orioles, but uh, he will be available. You'll get a, have other guys out there. There's a whole host of veteran catchers. Chris Iannetta will be out there. be a lot of guys, a lot of opportunities, and uh, you, know, you don't have to spend $60 million or even $30 million on your catcher. You can get a veteran catcher who can handle that staff and then uh, use the money elsewhere and that could be what they end up doing one team that needs a catcher next season is the atlanta braves uh, you mentioned that weeders although there's the georgia tech connection he doesn't look to be an option at this point uh for atlanta is wilson ramos an option i don't know he's going to have the the uh, draft pick connected to him with the qualifying offer i can only assume um do the Braves want to give up that draft pick with where they're at and how they value draft picks? I'm not sure. I mean, Capoella says that they want to spend money and they have more money to spend. And if it's not on a Wilson Ramos, I don't know where it's going to be. But I also don't know that they're going to spend $80 million on their catcher. So to me, it all comes down to the stars are aligning that they want Brian McCann for 2017. They're not going to pay a huge package for him at, um but I think that that's kind of how the stars seem to be aligning, that the Yankees are going to get to a point where, okay, well, we have Gary Sanchez, we have all these first-base DH guys, we might as well move McCann and get something for him. And the Braves, they're not going to pay $80 million for Ramos. Uh, you said Weeders doesn't look like an option. So to me it seems like McCann becomes the, the play there. Yeah, I think you're right. That's the, something we wrote about first, the McCann to the Braves' potential and I do still see that. Uh, I agree with you. Chances is clearly their catcher. McCann is not really a viable DH at this point. He, while he was a probably a 288 hitter in Atlanta, he's been a 230 something hitter in New York because of the shift. So uh, he's not really a DH. So I, they will not say we need to move him, but I, I do think it makes the most sense to move him. I do think Atlanta likes the idea of bringing McCann back. Great in the clubhouse. Great with the young pitchers. They need help there. Um, should be reasonable. Obviously, they're far apart. Uh, Yankees uh, uh, 
wanted to get some big pieces back, and uh, in addition to having Atlanta pay uh, uh, a lot of the $17 million salary on McCann. So I, I think and right now, for now, Atlanta looks at it as McCann is kind of somebody that's not needed by them. He hasn't had great offensive numbers in the last few years with the Yankees, and uh, you know, I think they're willing to pay half of the $17 million salary going forward. So that would be $8.5 million each of the next two years. And they would give them some kind of uh, prospect package back, but uh, they don't want to give them back uh, some big pieces for uh, somebody who uh, is really not probably worth his contract at this point. So, But I, it does make sense. Uh, it makes the most sense. Uh, I do think that they would love to get Ramos, but they don't want to give up that draft choice, as you mentioned. Uh, Weeders does not seem like an option for them. The Georgia Tech thing apparently doesn't mean that much to them. They don't really value him that highly, it seems, compared to some other teams. So I'm with you. I think McCann, the stars are aligned for McCann to go to the Braves. And the other big question for Atlanta is who is going to be their manager next year, interim manager Brian Snitker, doing a good job. I think it was Freddie Freeman quoted today saying that he's the kind of guy that everybody likes, everybody respects, and you want to run through a wall for him. Uh, one thing that Ken Rosenthal mentioned in his story about coaches, managers on the hot seat was comparing him to Mike Quaddy a little bit, that beware of the interim managers doing well and kind of flaming out Mike Quaddy with the Cubs. Uh, I think he was over 500 in his stretch, kept the job for, I think, only a year. Now he's back in AAA, I think, with Minnesota. Um, so with Snicker, you, you have a, a spot here where the players in the clubhouse like him. He's worked with a lot of the young guys in AAA, but he's not the, he's not the person that you look at and say, okay, well, Here's our big get. He's the guy that's going to get there. So I think the Braves are in a position where do they offer him a two-year deal with the team option as a bridge guy and give him that chance? Maybe. Do they go for somebody else now? How do you see that kind of falling out, and what do you think his chances are? Yeah, I, I thought he had no chance, but he has now done a very, very good job. I, I do uh, think that uh, you know, there is some issue about uh, bringing that interim guy. I do think he's going to be better than Mike Quaddy if you went with him. He's done a very, very good job. Uh, I do think it's more likely that they uh, take somebody else. I, it, at this point, they are going to consider Porter and uh, Pendleton in-house, but it seems unlikely that you would hire somebody in-house other than Snitker. You'd probably go outside. And I remarked recently to somebody with the Braves that you know, Snitker's got a great job, but it's not a very sexy pick going forward for a team that's moving to a new stadium. Uh, he's a guy who's been around kind of as a journeyman. I know he's been with a coach for a long time in the major league level. And they said, well, Matt Kemp might, be, might have been our sexy pick. So I don't know if they're going to look at it like that. They seem to be seriously considering him. But I, I would say that uh, I still think there's a good chance they're going to look at uh, one of the outside candidates. Some of the outside candidates that we hear often, we talked last week about um, Red Sox, Tori Lovello, how his name is going to be brought up in every deal. Uh, Bud Black, another name that's been attached to Atlanta sometimes this year, um, attached to a lot of different jobs. Who's the one guy that's not a manager right now that you think is the best bet to be one next year? Yeah, I think Tori Lovello is a hot name. He did a great job with the Red Sox last year when uh, John Farrell, unfortunately, was out with uh, lymphoma very respectfully managed uh, in a very difficult situation. Uh, Boston, uh, with them out of it, uh, did a great job. Uh, you know, again, you might say beware of the interim. In this case, I think Troy Lovello will be a terrific major league manager, and 
he could be a candidate in a number of places. In Toronto, he's got connections there with Mark Shapiro and uh, Ross Atkins and uh, and uh, Charrington as well. If they make a change of Gibbons, we'll see. If they get in the playoffs, uh, maybe they won't. But if they if they do not make the playoffs, I could easily see them being interested in him. I think Atlanta it will be interested in Lavelle. Basically, every team that's going to have a, a managerial opening uh, probably will and should look at Lavello. He is the hot name. What what is it about him that makes him a standout candidate to to everybody? Well, I mean, he's certainly got a fair amount of experience. I mean, some teams have taken flyers on big names and uh, who didn't have that experience. He managed at the minor league level of Cleveland, Toronto. Uh, he's been a, a long-time coach, a bench coach in a major market. Uh, he did get a taste of managing at the major league level. Uh, did a very good job. Uh, he's a steady guy. He's a smart guy. Uh, serious. Um, I think that he has all the attributes that you would look for in a major league manager. One team, um, the Tigers, Brad Osmus was a, a name there, but the they're in the wild card race now. They've got an AL Rookie of the Year option in Michael Fulmer. But his counterpart, Gary Sanchez, is certainly putting his name into that argument. Do you think that Sanchez has played enough to be considered for the Rookie of the Year? Sure he has. Uh, Willie McCovey won the Rookie of the Year in 1959 uh, under similar circumstances uh, with good numbers, with really good numbers, but not Gary Sanchez's numbers. Uh, He is the quickest. He was the quickest. The 16 home runs, 17, 18, 19. Uh, It's really been amazing. It's been an all-time start and uh, under difficult circumstances as a Yankee catcher he's done a decent job calling games he's got a great arm uh, you know I, I do think part of it is uh, the impact that he's made and it's been huge now Fulmer uh, has been great for Detroit obviously and uh, if he wins that ERA title it probably will be hard to take it away from him uh, and give it to Sanchez um, certainly will be one of these two guys uh Fulmer uh, has been in, limited a little bit on the innings, so he's not going to have the 200 innings or even maybe not even the 162 innings that qualifies you for the ERA title. He's going to be right on the bubble there. I think he's got 13 innings to go with two starts. So uh, to get that ERA title, he's going to have to uh, pitch those 13 innings uh, and uh, pitch well uh, to do it. But if he gets the ERA title, uh, I don't think he probably gets it, but, you know, Chance you can't ignore it. It's certainly a debate, uh, and I see either one of them could win it. Uh, there have been other good rookies, Naquin and Mazzara and some other guys, but uh, I think there have been really two spectacular rookies, and I put Sanchez in that mix. I think uh, Jesse Spector of Sporting News put it pretty well. I think it was last night when he said that if Sanchez isn't eligible for next year, then don't hold it against him this year in uh, contention. So are you okay if either one wins it? I am. I think either one is fine. Uh, you know, Sanchez has been so spectacular over a two-month period that he is a viable candidate for the top spot. Uh, I, I still think Fulmer is more likely to get it. and uh, he does, I do think Jesse Spector made a good point, but that's happened many times before where uh, guys played just enough to disqualify him for rookie of the year the next year and that one. But in this case, the guy's been so great that uh, this is his year to win if he's going to win. And uh, I think he's, it's probably close to 50-50 at this point that he might win this. Now, I know you were on MLB Network this morning. I don't know if you were part of this because I think you were on this morning at about like 4 a.m. Phoenix time, so I, I didn't wake up to see that one. But <laughs> Mark very DeRosa, disappointed in you, Tommy. Yeah, Mark DeRosa 
they had a discussion um, on eight rookies or young guys that aren't Corey Seager because he seems like the obvious option. Out of eight guys that are in that consideration, which one do you want for the next 10 years? And the options that they talked about, Gary Sanchez, Trey Turner, Nomar Mazzara, Michael Fulmer, Alex Reyes, Andrew Benatendi, Dansby Swanson, and Alex Bregman. Now, DeRosa said he would take Turner. Um, He talked about Dansby that can he play everyday shortstop? Yeah, but if he doesn't, he loses value at second base. Same thing with Bregman. Um, said that Gary Sanchez can't quite possibly be this for the rest of his career. So he went with Turner, a guy that can play shortstop, who has seamlessly transitioned to center field. That's who he wants for the next 10 years. Out of those eight guys, who is your one? Who's your pick? For me, that comes down to Sanchez, Turner, or Reyes. And I'm, I'm going to go with Sanchez. You have, you have a catcher with that kind of arm and that kind of power. I, I cannot resist that. Uh, to me, that potential superstar written over that. Uh, Turner, I think, is going to be an excellent player. He already is. Uh, he's certainly sparked the uh, Nationals. Uh, he's a great leadoff hitter, and he's very good in center field, uh, especially for a guy who's barely played it. And he, he's very good at second, and he probably could even play shortstop. So uh, uh, he, he'd be a good choice. And, and Reyes, with that talent, 101-mile-an-hour thrower with a great um, breaking pitch as well. Um you know, those are my three choices. You know, obviously, Benintendi, Bregman, they're all very good, but uh, I can't resist the catcher who might hit 40 home runs. Yeah, and catching options, I think from there, the drop-off from one to the other is so large that that makes Sanchez out, um, stand out even more. And my pick, and I talked with Alex Smolikoff in, in the office today about it, we agree that our pick is Alex Bregman, but I almost went against him because – as a shortstop, there are so many more shortstops nowadays that with the catching, uh, Gary, it's Gary Sanchez. I think Wilson Contreras is going to be very good as a young guy, but it's a thinner position. The, but with shortstop, you can move them anywhere. Bregman can play third. He could play second if he had to. Uh, he could play an outfield spot if he had to. Um, obviously, there's no wrong answer here, but for those eight guys – I would take Alex Bregman, his bat, and his versatility as well. But Sanchez, uh, I think you'll do okay with him. Yeah, I'm going for the home run there, uh, literally. Um, you know, having that catcher who can hit those home runs, I'm taking that. Uh, yeah, it's kind of the year of the shortstop. you got Correa on Bregman's own team is great. Uh, Bogarts is great. Seager, who you mentioned, who I would have taken if he was on the list, obviously uh, spectacular. Uh, Bregman, I think, is a terrific hitter was going to be fine in any position you put him at, so he's very versatile, uh, almost a Cubs-type player, uh, really, really excellent. But uh, on my list, he'd be behind both Sanchez and Turner. Looking at the AL wildcard, the AL wildcard and NL wildcard are pretty different in terms of you have teams that are winning in the AL that are kind of surprising versus the NL where all the teams are losing and kind of backdooring their way in. For the American League, which of the teams still in it are you kind of most surprised by? And I guess the Yankees are still in it only three games back, but let's leave them out for now. We've talked about them plenty the last couple of weeks. You have Seattle two games back, Houston a game and a half back, Baltimore half a game back, um, and then Toronto and De- Toronto is the top spot, and then Detroit's the, the second spot. So Detroit, Baltimore, Houston, Seattle, which team are you most surprised is is still in it? 
Houston's a shocker for me. I gave them up for dead uh, weeks ago. Uh, A.J. Henson, manager, does a consistently good job there, keeping them in. Uh, they've been without uh, Keichel, without the colors, and without Bregman. So that's three big losses. I don't think any of them are coming back in the uh, in the regular season. Um, you know, they got a little bit of advantage over those East teams with the schedule. Um, you know, I do think uh, maybe Detroit or one of the West teams uh, uh, could sneak in uh, because of the schedule. Uh, their schedule is not as bad as the East. East. They keep knocking each other out. I almost kind of think that it, it, Baltimore and Toronto may deserve it since they're in that division with all those good teams with four very good teams out of five. But uh, Houston, to me, shocker. Hats off to A.J. Hinch. Great job. Yeah, and I said a couple weeks ago that I thought Houston could make it because of their schedule, and then a couple days after that it was uh, Dallas Keuchel was hurt, wasn't coming back. McCullers still wasn't coming back. So I kind of gave up on that hope too. And every other day it's, you know, we're, we're, leaving a team, we're leaving the Yankees for dead after they lose to Boston, and now they're still only three games back, which I know there's only ten games to play or so, but, I mean, crazier things have happened. But I talked to Dave Hogg, who covers the Tigers for us, uh, he didn't think that they were going to be able to do it because Fulmer wearing down and just the, the concerns about the rotation and whether they were going to be able to go 8-4 and four or so down the stretch. And here they are in the second spot. So I'm still surprised by Houston because they've lost all those guys that you mentioned. I don't know that they're quite as scary as I thought they would be a couple weeks ago if they made it. Which of those teams do you think is the, the scariest or has the best chance in the playoffs if they make it? Well, if you're counting Toronto, uh, I would go with them. I've liked them from the beginning. I think them as the American League favorite from the start. I think they've underperformed, particularly lately. Um, if they count um, as you know, they're a wild card team at this point and uh, not going to win that division, uh, I think that they're the scariest of the teams. Um, you know, other than that, I, I would I would say uh, that maybe Baltimore is. I do like their lineup. Uh, I think Bundy and Gosman have been pitching better lately. They've got the best back end of a bullpen. Britain has been unbelievable this year. I th- I, at this point, I think he is the AL Cy Young winner, and I never thought I would say that about a reliever, but I do believe he is the guy. So uh, the other teams, I, I would probably go uh, Baltimore um, as the scariest. Houston, uh, you know, they're they're a little bit like the Mets. They're fighting that uh, they've got the, easy, the easier schedule, uh, yet they've got all these injuries, and uh makes it tough and uh if they get in and you get in without Keiko and McCullers exactly what do you have what are your chances I can't think they're very good and that kind of leads into the National League with the Mets that if they get in who do you have now especially with uh Noah Syndergaard is they're skipping his start this weekend he has strep throat um and apparently a serious case of strep throat so is he going to be able to regain the stamina and you know all that from what he loses with this you're looking at Bartolo Colon as your wild card game starter if they make it. So the Mets are kind of opposite here, where it's the Giants and St. Louis that are losing. The Mets keep winning or at least staying in it as they keep losing players. So, a how are the Mets even doing this? There, there's nothing left there. They're running out. Well, part of it is the schedule. Uh, they, when they had a schedule left with. Uh, Minnesota, plus the teams in their division that generally weren't that good, uh, plus Miami, which has been okay. But uh, Philly and Atlanta, it looked pretty promising. Now, Atlanta's played much better. 
uh, giving them fits. Obviously, uh, that they've been trouble for them, but uh, they've had that kind of battle of injury versus schedule. Good schedule, bad injuries, and I, you know, I give do give them credit. The guys have stayed healthy, and uh, they they have performed. Cespedes uh, has been uh, big for them. Granderson has been huge with the home runs. Uh, as Rubel Cabrera has been. Uh, as good as anybody offensively in the National League, not, not quite Gary Sanchez, but as good as anybody in the National League. Uh, so they've had some good heroes on the offensive side, and uh, obviously Cologne has been amazing. I, I do think uh, strep throat, no fun, but uh, I think with uh, more than a week to go, uh, they'll find a way to get into guard out in that wild card game if they do make the wild card. Uh, my daughter, who's only 10, bounced back. In about five days from strep throat, I, I have a feeling they'll have some guard back on that mound for the wild card game if they get there. But wow, what the pitching injuries unreal between Harvey, uh, Degrom, Wheeler, and Matt. Uh, it's been pretty devastating, and uh, you know I give Terry Collins some credit for uh, keeping them in there this way. The Mets might be calling you for your daughter's doctor's name if, if uh, <laughs> that'll help Thor get back. One of the notes this week, the, the Giants bullpen, um, they wanted Miller, they wanted Melanson, they are kind of regretting not getting specifically Melanson. Is their bullpen good enough or at least not bad enough to, to keep them in it? I still think that if they make it out of those three, they're the most dangerous, whether that means that they actually are dangerous or not to the Cubs. I don't know about that, but the most dangerous when you have – Bumgarner, Cueto, although I know that he's hurt, um, and Samarja, that's kind of better than what the rest have. So I still think they're a threat, but can they get there? Yeah, I mean, it's a question right now. you got the Mets with the schedule. you got the Cardinals with their history. They have played a little bit better than the Giants in the second half. Of course, almost anybody has played better than the Giants. It's been a shocker. They were my National League pick at the beginning. Um, they do have the regrets about the uh, – uh, relievers. They w- wanted to get Melanson. Uh, first, they wanted to get Miller, who they've been infatuated with from the time he was at the University of North Carolina and uh, considered him as a draftee. Well, he was picked seventh, then they took Lessicum tenth, so can't have any real regrets there. They came close as a free agent, and uh, they talked about uh, Miller with the Yankees. The Yankees didn't really love their prospects. They asked for Joe Panic. San Francisco did not panic. No, sorry about that pun. Uh, would not trade him, and that's understandable. Uh, but right now, Bobby Evans, the GM, is lamenting the fact that uh, he didn't win the Melanson uh, Derby. Uh, you know, we know that Washington got Melanson. has been a big help for them. They didn't give up a ton, it seems, for Melanson. Uh, give up a reasonable package. And uh, San Francisco, I think, was at a handicap by not having uh, prospects that other teams coveted. You know you have to overpay, and they feel that they – Tried to overpay to get Melanson, but uh, it didn't work out, and it's really cost them. We saw them two years ago struggle in the second half and come back and win the World Series, so I don't put anything past the Giants. They still have the experience to do it, but I think their pen has aged, and that's that's an issue. I mean, these guys uh, won them a few World Series, uh, maybe not considered the strength of the team. They were pretty good with Romo, uh, Casilla, and uh, now Affelt has retired. Lopez, Lopez is now 39 years old. The other guys are in their mid-30s as well. So I, I think that the age is kind of caught up with that bullpen, and uh, that's kind of what cost them. I want to circle back real quick to the American League because the, the race in the National League is pretty much over for home field. But the American League, Texas at 90 wins, Boston and Cleveland both at 89. Cleveland 
which I guess I don't understand why everybody was upset um, that their writer said they're left for dead when you lose your second and third best starter. I think it's fair to say that about just about anybody. Um, but I know, does Boston, I think Boston, Cleveland, Texas, I don't know that any of them want to play Toronto. Um, so does, does home field in that top spot, is that something that they really want? I feel like a team would rather play Cleveland than Toronto at this point. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, Cleveland's done a nice job. I, you know, I, I never believed in them. And, uh, uh, you know, they they have a better team than I gave them credit for. Obviously, Lindor and Kipnis are stars. Jose Ramirez has had a career year. Napoli has had a, an excellent year. Uh, I do think he seems to be a winner. Wherever he goes, his teams win. And their lineup is very, very good. They obviously have an ace in Cooper. Their bullpen has been very good. Adding Miller was huge. Um, so I, I still think Cleveland is a tough, a tough out. And I don't blame the writer. The writer is entitled to his opinion. He's around the team. I, I think he got a reasonable amount of heat. Uh, Paul Hoynes did, uh, the Cleveland Plain Dealer writer. Uh, I think it was a legitimate uh, story angle, and there was nothing wrong with it. Uh, they might be a little bit sensitive. I, I don't know. I was after one in a while. Uh, I think they should all be happy. They won the basketball championship and leave it at that. But uh, I, I think it was a legitimate story. That being said, uh, I'm not sure that they're as doomed as a lot of people think they are. Uh, everybody's dealing with injuries. We've gone through all these teams, and about two-thirds of them seem to have some devastating injuries. I would rather read that from the Cleveland paper than read some of the stuff coming out of Chicago where what's happened before some of these guys were even born is going to somehow make an impact on the playoffs this year, which I think is quite the narrative but when the cubs clinch as early as they do i guess that's what we have to to read and listen to <laughs> well that's what they're interested in the history that's what makes us part of what makes this team interesting i do happen to think that this is a team with the guys with great makeup as we talked about earlier and it's not gonna let it bother them if they don't win this year someone's gonna have to outplay them last year they were outplayed by the mets i think this year uh, they're a better team with a little more experience uh we're talking about having the mvp uh now not just the rookie of the year and uh very good pitching staff, uh, excellent rotation, uh, very balanced team. Uh, to me, they are the favorite. I don't care what the history says. Uh, it doesn't mean they can't win, and I don't believe that that's really going to be what weighs on them. If they, if they get beat, uh, someone beat them legitimately. And, hey, look, the Dodgers have a lot of talent. The Nationals have uh, a lot of talent. They may just get beaten. Yeah, we'll see. And at this time next week when we're talking, we might be talking about wild card tiebreakers, which should be exciting. So the second wild card overall has added some excitement, and we'll have plenty of that to talk about next week. So, John, thanks for your time, and we will talk next week. All right, thanks a lot.